Hello and welcome to episode 378 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. Wow. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. I'm Tristan Carcino. You're excited this week, aren't you? We've got a jam-packed episode. Yeah, that that is an eight consecutive wins excitement, two times from you. It's a jam-packed episode, even though we just had a Mariners, our first Mariners emergency pod of the season. Okay, I was going to say, not ever. Of the season, yes. Oh, not of the season, ever. No, absolutely not. We had our first ever Mariners emergency pod last year. Correct. It's not like <laughs> technically, as I've pointed out at that point. No. The Robinson count. Cano slash no. Chris Peterson emergency pod. Which that was, was a Chris Peterson emergency pod that we also mentioned Robin Cano. Robinson Cano. Which may come up later in this podcast. Really? Because of some of the breaking news we have to get to. There we go. It's it's a jam packed, but we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl forty eight champion, Seattle Seahawks. All right. This uh, is the most enthusiastic I've seen you in a long time. You know, it's funny because you called this morning and you were enthusiastic and I was down because it was cloudy. <laughs> yeah. But also the Mariners hadn't won a game in like, you know, 15 you were, hours you were at that down point. because of baseball? I don't know if I was down because of baseball. I'm just saying at that point, we were four removed from a Mariners victory. Now we're like, you know, two hours removed. That's ironic. You were down because of baseball and I was high because of baseball. Well, you, you had a broader sense of what was going on. Then we got a lot of chess to get to. Let's so let's start with this week's beer in our search for Seattle's best IPA. And this week, it takes us to Moxie, Washington, and our friends at Balebreaker Brewing with their Top Cutter IPA. Our flagship IPA is a well-balanced yet aggressive West Coast IPA that showcases Yakima Valley hops at their finest. Late editions of Simcoe, Citra, Laurel, and Mosaic give this beer Laurel or Laurel, I don't know, give this beer its complex citrus, fruity, and floral aroma and flavor, named for a unique piece of farm equipment that removes hop vines from the trellis during the annual hop harvest. Top Cutter IPA delivers loads of hoppiness all year long. Do you know what season's coming? Is that fresh hop season? I mean, it's also football season. Okay. Because yeah, they, they I actually knew, I knew both. But, <laughs> but I in knew the context both of the beer section of the Sp- pod. Spooky season is coming? You didn't know that. You haven't <laughs> been to the grocery store, have you? I, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> spooky season isn't coming. It's here. The grocery store? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like Fred Meyer? Yeah, yeah. Like Safeway? There's a lot of Halloween decorations. I guess candy. Not decorations. There's Halloween candy is yeah. what I'm saying. Okay, that checks out, I suppose. God. First time? <laughs> So, the listener, Third Pelton Brother, Zach Jabal, sent us this piece of information from WashingtonBeerBlog.com. As part of their Fresh Hop series this year, Bailbreaker and Russian River will wow. be collaborating on Fresh Hop Friends IPA, which will be releasing on September 22nd. Their first Fresh Hop beer is the Homegrown Fresh Hop coming out on September 13th. Okay. So, it the is hearing. They're fresh. They are. And they're from the Fresh Hop region. I don't think... Did they say that in the uh, in their description? I don't know if they did. I don't know if that's caught on yet. If that's good, the thing we've done is caught on yet? Yeah. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> uh, don't Look Now is caught on for our Twitter followers uh-huh. exclusively. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they need to reference... The top cutter of anyone should be referencing the... Uh, the Fresh Hop region. Fresh Hop region. Yeah. Of Washington. No, it's the fresh hop region of the world. 
I mean, yes. It is still just the, the fresh, fresh hop region. And they still say the Champagne region of France. Yes. So they I'll accept say, that. The fresh hop region of Washington. Yeah. But I just want to understand that this is not exclusive to Washington State. These are the freshest hops in the entire world. I mean, again, as we've got over, not necessarily the freshest hops. The freshest But they're hops. the best fresh hops. The best and the freshest hops in the entire world. All right, so before we get to the toast, reminder, this is your last chance. Email us at peltoncast at gmail.com to sign up for this year's Pel- Peltoncast Fantasy Football. If you have already sent us an email, uh, you'll be getting in your email uh, a survey as we figure out when to ho- hold those drafts over the next couple of weeks here because, again, football season is also coming, starting just before uh, bail breaker fresh off season. All right, we start with congrats to Julio Rodriguez. No surprise here. The this is a close one. Player of the week for the third <laughs> time in his career. Just beat out Hagerty and cans out for that <laughs> honor. Hey, Hagerty had the meaningless home run. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't meaningless. It definitely was. was it nice meant to something say. to us. It did. Well, we're here. Farewell to mm. Sam Onofrio Hagerty, who was sent back to Tacoma on Monday with J.P. Crawford activated off the concussion IL. And the more I think about it, this, the less likely it seems that he is going to come back when the rosters expand, which is t- tough because really, on, on the one hand, like his versatility would be so nice to have, but since there's only two extra spots, one of those definitely is a pitcher, right? Yeah, I really think you're allowed an extra pitcher. So then the other one is probably a third catcher. I mentioned, you know, whether they keep is it Brian O'Keefe? Yeah, it's Brian O'Keefe on the roster once Tom Murphy returns. But also Cooper Hummel actually makes sense in this because the versatility he can catch, he can be your third catcher or play the outfield. But Cooper Hummel is not hitting as well as O'Keefe. Well, it's, I mean, Haggerty for sure. I, I I don't know that. I've not closely analyzed the Tacoma Rainiers statistics. Haggerty's yet. hitting amazing in AAA. He is, yes. So, we'll see. It's but sad. I'm not counting on it. In, in the, the smallest possible way, he got Wally pipped by Jose Caballero. He kind of did, yes. I mean, Cabe took... It's fine. Like, it's, it's an okay outcome because we like Cabe also. The Mariners have too many utility guys right now. Yes. Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore is also on the play both the infield and the outfield corner. Josh Rojas now is a utility guy. And then Cade Marlowe coming up and hitting as well as he has. Like, that's the other element. Like, at some point, Jared Kelnick's going to come back. You're going to need a spot on the roster for him. I would guess that's Mike Ford now, even though Mike Ford is, like, starting regularly. Yeah. Because Cade Marlowe has hit well enough that I think you'd keep him around, and is your backup center fielder at this point. Although Kelnick would also would then inherit that role. Perfect roster, <laughs> no 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 holes. I, I hear what you're saying. It's a perfect roster. <laughs> there are too many good players on the team. It's true. On the Seattle Mariners. All right. Next up, congrats to Northeast Seattle Little League, which is the first team ever to represent Seattle proper in the Little wow. League World Series. I did not realize that. Let's from like the Seattle area, but Seattle, the city of Seattle itself, and became the first Northwest Region champs to reach the U.S. semifinals since Eastlake in 2013, with wins over teams from Gray, Maine, and Nolensville, Tennessee. On Wednesday, they'll face Needville, Texas, for a spot of the U.S. championship. Seattle, Washington versus <laughs> Needville, Texas. I'm sure that Needville is probably a very good team. <laughs> probably a much better baseball tradition. But it is funny, the cities, yes. Nolensville and Needville yeah. and Gray Maine. Gray Maine. These are the people they have playing against Seattle, Washington right now. It is set in stone. So what happens 
for the U.S. championship, if, if there's is there a U.S. winner and then they face off against the winner of the world? Correct. So there's wow. separate brackets for the international teams and the U.S. teams. So this is not actually yet the semifinals of the Little League World Series. The U.S. championship would be that. And one thing worth noting, if you have not paid any attention to the Little League World Series bracket before, which I think like, I've watched the games, but I'm not like, you know, pondering the bracket. The bracket. Yeah. Uh, if they win the semifinal and get to the championship, they have no specific benefit from the fact that the other team is from the loser's bracket. It's still single elimination in the championship. The benefit you have is that other team will have to win a second game. So the loser of the semifinal faces the team that emerges out of the rest of the loser's bracket for the other spot in the final. Okay. So it could, well, be, it could be twice against Needville, Texas. Let's freaking take down Needville, Texas. Yeah. I've, I've never felt... Uh, anything about Needville? We we probably need to look up where in Texas Needville is. Where did we get in trouble talking about Northwest Texas? <laughs> I no, I think it's definitely in West Texas. There's no way Needville isn't in West Texas. I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of baseball being played in West Texas. No way, it's not. I. It's probably a I'm suburb guessing, of Houston. Yeah, Houston or Dallas. Hmm. Well, it's pretty distant exurbs of Houston, but it is definitely nearest to Houston. That's not too far from Sugarland. Yeah, so there you go. They did they mention the they mentioned the name of the Astros AAA affiliate? I think at one point in the broadcast this weekend, and it was quite a fascinating team name. You should look that up. Well, I'm going through the notes. The Sugarland Space Cowboys. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Next up, and congrats to Tristan. Wow. On scoring nine goals and winning oh. the highest trophy in all of soccer. Definitely the biggest trophy that was handed out last weekend, the League's Cup. I thought this was actually a congrats to me <laughs> no, when I saw it on the notes. God not. damn it. This is the worst kind of congrats ever. <laughs> Just for a soccer player that I look like. A great soccer player that I look like. Winning a meaningless tournament. Sorry. It's just literally in the same, well, not quite the same calendar year. Within the same 365-day span, Messi was able to win both the World Cup <laughs> and the League's Cup. No I, other player yeah, has ever done that before. Accomplishment, I mean, it is impressive. It's Can- Canzone-like. I don't know. Are there any other Argentines among the Barcelona players they imported on the roster? There might be. I don't think so. So... Yeah, but none of them scored nine goals in their first five games, maybe six. I don't know how many I they actually played. I couldn't wait to see what this congrats to Tristan <laughs> was on the notes. I, it's intriguing. It does not seem, though, that this has really broken through because you haven't been telling, haven't been mentioning that a lot of people have been telling you you look like Messi. Are you telling me that League's Cup hasn't broken through on the same scale <laughs> as the World Cup? More Messi is, playing in is, the United States. That's the information that you're trying to tell me right now? Again, it's messy playing in the United States, which, I mean, it does feel like it's kind of a big deal. Messy playing in the United States? Yes. It would feel like a bigger deal if he wasn't starting in the League's Cup. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if the MLS regular season would feel that big. They beat Nashville, right? In the final? Yeah. That sounds right. This was... Another Ville. A lot of Villes. I mean, in, in the League's Cup, he took down Nolansville, Needville, and Nashville on the way to the highest honor in MLS, the League's Cup. I'm, I'm sure that when he was growing up as a boy, he dreamt of <laughs> hoisting, beating Nashville SC 
and hoisting the League's <laughs> Cup trophy. <laughs> Doesn't get any more prestigious than that. All right, lastly this week, an actual farewell to Miles Jack, who was placed on the reserve retired list by the Eagles after signing with them during training camp. The Bellevue native played seven seasons as a second-round pick out of UCLA, starting 95 of the 103 games he played, including 13 last year with the Pittsburgh Steelers after spending his first six years with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Another Big Ten legend. <laughs> well done. We will always remember the time that Miles Jack scored multiple touchdowns against yeah, UW. Multiple rushing touchdowns. Yeah, that wasn't great. I mean, sure, we had the Shaq Thompson rushing touchdowns the next year, but it wasn't the same. That's just what Big Ten football is all about. You understand? <laughs> I don't yet. because He's I like Charles Woodson. You know, the, long, the long Big Ten lineage of offense and defense. <laughs> That's fair. Yes, good point. All right, with that, it appears it is time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. The Mariners are too good. No takes, just great baseball. This is a take for the team that is now the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Seahawks. They're the new Mariners. Pete, what are you doing? This is the most upset I've been at Pete since the day they traded Russ, and I'm pretty confident JSN's broken wrist isn't going to result in the fifth pick in the draft. Or maybe it will. I get it, he's a rookie, but this is someone who's going to be a significant part of the offense, especially when you look around the wide receiver room. I looked on the other side of the field on Saturday night. Mike McCarthy is out-strategying you, Pete. Did I see CeeDee Lamb? Did I see Dak Prescott? This isn't 1996 anymore, Pete. There is no reason, no reason, for JSN or any other starter, for that matter, to have been on the field in that meaningless football game. You're lucky, though, Pete. You always are. Because, of course, this is an opportunity. Sometimes there's a certain marriage, a certain match that ends up being written in the stars, and opportunity has a way of knocking at the right time. And that opportunity has a name. And that name is wide receiver out of UCLA by way of Duke. Undrafted but not unwanted. Underhyped but not underappreciated. Jake motherfucking Bobo! To you, his name is starting slot receiver. Because when you look around that room, there ain't no one else except for six foot four inches of production. You could fill in one Pro Bowl slot and pen already because this offense is going to be led by a rookie receiver. And that abbreviation isn't JSN. It's (laughs) B-O-B-O. Are we going to do the Seahawks section now? I don't know what to (laughs) do with this information. We can come back to it. I mean, it feels like we kind of should just roll with it at this point. No, we got to talk baseball. Maybe we make the Mariners the culmination this week. Wow. People wait for the Mariners. The Mariners get the hammer? Yeah. (laughs) The Mariners are the most famous person to have died in the year before the Academy Awards (laughs) aired? Again, you just said the Seahawks are the new Mariners. I like it. I like it. See, the Mariners, they've been moving all around. I I tried to kill them from from, (laughs) from the rundown in general. You wouldn't let me do that. Thank God God I didn't. I was a little mad about that. But now the Mariners have earned the top spot, number one on the speed dial. Excluding nobody. 
even even UW athletic department news. Uh, so the Seahawks beat the Cowboys 22 to 14 on Saturday with their starters playing the first two series. Generally, of this game, not everyone. Quandre Diggs didn't play. Uh, did Bobby Wagner play? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So there were a few guys that didn't. Uh, DK Metcalf didn't play. Or did Tyler Lockett didn't play? DK did? I don't know. No, t- Tyler Lockett. Yeah. Tyler Lockett caught a pass. So DK was the one who didn't play, yes. Uh, a few starters here and there didn't play. But generally, the starting unit did. And Jackson Smith and Jigba played longer with the second unit, which is presumably where he scored, suffered this wrist injury after his 48-yard completion down to the one-yard line. Uh, a broken wrist. He is in Philadelphia receiving an examination, determining whether they're going to have a surgery. Pete Carroll told reporters on Tuesday afternoon that if there is surgery necessary, that it would take place on Wednesday, that they're anticipating a three- to four-week timeline. It is precisely 19 days between Tuesday and the week one of the 2023 NFL season. There's no chance he's playing in week one. I would not say there's no chance. If if we're being honest with ourselves, there's no chance that he is playing in week one. This was as assessed by Pete Carroll. But but that was also the original report from Adam Schefter when he was breaking this news, my colleague, that there was a chance he could play in week one. So that and that probably did not come from the Seahawks side. That probably came from Jackson Smith and Jigba's side. He's not going to be playing in week one. We don't. I don't have to boldly predict this because also he's a rookie wide receiver and he's going to be not practicing for these 19 days until the season starts. He's a very polished rookie wide receiver, but... The most polished. The Rick Woolen, as Mike Sean Dugar has been quoting regularly on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, uh, said that he doesn't look like he played for Ohio State last year. He looks like he played for the Seahawks. <sighs> It's what makes this even more frustrating. And I, I can accept that injuries happen. at very. It's not like the injury matters more or less depending on when it happened, right? I mean, Devin Witherspoon wasn't injured in a preseason game. He's still injured. Correct. So it's not like it doesn't actually change anything, but it's the needlessness of it. And I think that's what's the most frustrating about it. I mean, I think most teams play, even when they're not playing their starters, play their rookies. For a period of time, you don't have to be most teams. You haven't seen Hard Knocks yet, but Will McDonald, Will McDonald the fourth, uh-huh. was playing into the second half in their second preseason game. Okay, so I mean, I'm just saying that's everybody's doing practice. it. If everybody jumped off a bridge, I mean, even I, I don't know the Rams. They don't have first round picks, so we have <laughs> no, not no data points. <laughs> Zero data points. This was, but when you hear that quote from Rick Woolen, right, and then also knowing how important JSN is to this team at this point, like, I don't think it is necessary to treat him like all the rookies. I get getting him up to game speed, but just... He also didn't play at all last, basically at all last year. He played very limited football at Ohio State as a, you know, his last season there as a junior. It's bad news. This is bad news for his rookie season. I, I mean, if I'm catastrophizing, I, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think this will be forgotten by week five. Okay. If I'm catastrophizing, I'm saying that his entire rookie season is gone. All right. Let's. Uh, this is not Devin Witherspoon like missing the majority of training camp with his hamstring injury. That I think could be a real <laughs> setback. The good news is it's not as bad as your other first round pick. I mean, he's been out there for the majority. Look on of the bright side. <laughs> like the last week of that is not actually training camp anymore. It's just game prep at that point. Like, 
So <sighs> I think it's gonna be fine. But it is a real opportunity for Jake Povo. Like one of the other things Mike Sean said, this was before the, the Jackson Smith and Jigba news had come out, was like, yeah, if he makes the team, he'll probably be the fifth and sixth receiver. And I'm like, look at around the depth chart. Uh, D. Eskridge is injured, is suspended the first six weeks, even if you were available. Uh, Derek Young may be undergoing hip surgery, which would presumably be a much more serious long-term injury in that case, than, than Jackson Smith and Jigba's surgery. And, you know, you got Cody Thompson potentially competing with him. Uh, Aesop Winston, who did not end up in the box score on Saturday night. I think he was hurt. He didn't oh, He didn't play? Yeah. Okay. Jake Bobo was the second leading receiver with two catches on his three targets for 43 yards. His 28-yard 20 28 catch from Geno Smith was the largest play for the Seahawks uh, first team offense. So at least in the passing game. So a lot of good things happening with Jake Bobo right now. Oh, he's going to be on the field. He's going to be getting significant playing time in week one. Pete Carroll's quote, he's a special football player and I hope we can fit him in. So yeah, you you better fit him in. You'll be able to fit him in Pete. This isn't a Mariners situation. Again, you're you're like the old Mariners. Oh no, I don't. I'm just at the wide receiver specifically right now. There are some other positions where it's a little deeper. Quarterback, in not particular. a perfect roster. Not a perfect roster. They will be able. Well, maybe it is because they've got Bobo. They're lucky, <laughs> but they'll be able to fit him in, and he will be on the field in Week One. Like, there's no doubt in my mind I, that that's going to be the case. Yeah, you do think back to like some of the undrafted or unheralded players who play a big role in Week One, and it can go two directions. I, I've often referenced. I want to say it was Stephen Williams. What is the receiver's name? There was a receiver. There was like a, the year the Seahawks opened in. It must have been Carolina. I don't think it was Jacksonville. And this was early in the Russell Wilson era. Okay. And there's like back-to-back deep balls early yeah. in this game. One of them goes to possibly this Williams guy. Braylon Edwards? Did he catch no, one? No, it was it was a younger player than that. And then the next one was to Jermaine Curse. Okay. And Curse caught it. Oh, the, the Stephen Williams could didn't come down with it. Exactly. Yeah. If if that's his name. <laughs> Whatever this this individual's name was, yes, this was week one in Car- at Carolina in 2013. Uh, the box score here, yep, Stephen Williams. Stephen Williams, well, one target, impressive. no catches. Jermaine Chris, two targets, two catches, 49 yards, and Quiddy a 43 yard touchdown. No, I remember those plays so vividly where they yeah. threw it up again, the exact same play, and you're like, okay, now you threw it to the receiver, you can catch it. But we didn't know that about Jermaine Curse necessarily at that point. This person who I literally have never heard <laughs> do not remember their existence. I don't think the hype was quite the same as it was around Bobo. I don't know. It's hard to remember 2013 preseason hype. Look, there wasn't even a Pelton cast yet. Wow. Who can say? There was a Pelton cast at, after that game. It was our first week. By the way, we are coming up fast on our ten-year anniversary. Tenth anniversary. Wow. We gotta we gotta figure out some something to do for the tenth anniversary Pelton cast. Maybe we should record in Boulevard Park. In oh, celebration. go back! We the Airstream trailer's gone. <laughs> I know. My house is still there. My old house is still there. <laughs> uh, the other injury for the Seahawks involving a rookie, Mike Morris, underwent a shoulder procedure after Saturday's game. I uh, don't know anything yet about the severity of that, but uh, certainly not good news. In happier news, Pete Carroll said there's a chance that Jamal Adams could return to practice on Wednesday 
will undoubtedly clear pup at, at some point this week and begin taking place in walkthroughs. Also said that at this point they expect Jordan Brooks to play in week one as part of his remarkable comeback from the ACL last year, injury last year on New Year's Day. Uh, well, all right, let's talk about some other players on Saturday. Uh, Drew Locke played the next two series after the starters, and Geno Smith led the Seahawks to a pair of touchdowns before coming out for precautionary reasons, uh, suffered a knee hyperextension on a play where he was roughed, but uh, he is expected to play this Saturday at Green Bay. doesn't sound like that was serious. Uh, he went five of six for 119 yards, including that 48-yard completion to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Holden Ehlers then came in to finish the first half, play the entire second half of this one. Defensively, a couple of standouts. Number one, Boye Mafe, I yes. think was the Seahawks' highest rated graded player by PFF, was getting a lot of pressure on early down situations and also successfully playing the run, which you'll love to see. Oh, he was credited with two pass defenses. Boy, Amafe was? Yeah. Do you, do you, are you looking something up here, or do you have a, have a take on this? No, I'm just doing work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trey Brown coming up with an interception late in this one. Uh, generally played pretty well. Maybe Certainly better, I think, on this day than Michael Jackson, so we'll see what that means for the battle left cornerback, but... Uh, a, a positive data point for him, certainly. I don't know if I don't know if anyone. How, did you watch any of this game? And I did. Okay. I mean, I I had the same takeaways. Uh, honestly, this was kind of like, given that they played the starters a little bit, I still took very little from it. I mean, the Boye Mafe performance is one. He's at that point where. I think that I think that we can anticipate a very good season from Boye Mafe. And it was nice to see him do something. But it's also not like he's still playing against backups. Yeah. But I think Boye Mafe has reached that level of skill where him against backups is a is a mismatch. And so I think that's the most Which that I, I can take. I don't it. think was the case last year. No, I definitely don't think so. I mean I, I think it would be fair to assume to expect quite a bit of production from Boye Mafe this year. Um uh, but beyond that, I mean, the Bobo catches, uh, Zach Charbonnet is still looking pretty good. Bobo blocking on that play. Yeah. That was definitely highlighted. Like, this is a polished football player in a lot of ways. I understand that the athleticism isn't necessarily there, but, like, the production at UCLA was still pretty strong. But beyond that, I I think Drew Locke looks kind of nice. It was one of those things where you're going through in your head where you're like, why is Pete playing the starters? Oh my God, I hate him. And then this was even before we found out about the Jackson Smith and Jigba injury. But it was like, what if Geno Smith gets hurt in your head? You're like, Pete is doing this thing, this dumb thing. I mean, he took a sack in this game. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, Pete is doing this. What if he gets hurt? What are my expectations for the Seahawks with Drew Locke at quarterback? And I think that there would be a, I, it would still still lingers. There's still a little bit of curiosity of what it would look like having Drew Locke. Oh, the sure, there's curiosity without question. I mean, I don't think he would play as well. I think he would probably be. I don't want to say Jerry Goffey because I don't think he. I think he would probably be more turnover prone. But like he would be more dependent on play action as he was successful with in, in this game. Jared Goff's an awesome quarterback. You understand that, right? But Jared Goff needs to be, Jared Goff 
he did a little more of this perhaps last year in Detroit, but he's someone that needs to play in structure. And when you get him, you know, operating outside of that, that's when bad things happen. And I think that that would probably be the case with Drew Locke as well. Yeah. Whereas Geno Smith can improvise much more comfortably. All right, well, there you go. Seahawks hot takes. That's a new one. Uh, let's get into the rundown then, starting with the Sounders, who may as well just have stayed on League's Cup break. Uh, they came back with a 2 nothing loss Sunday against Atlanta United. Jorgios Yakimakis scored twice as they extended the Sounders' winless streak to six games across all competitions, including five losses in those last six matches. It was actually pretty even in terms of expected goals with 16 Sounders shot attempts, with just two of those were on goal. Still no Christian Roldan in the 18 coming off concussion protocol. Sounders remained fourth in the West in total points, but down to fifth in points per match at 1.44, just ahead of Minnesota, 1.35, which is tied for sixth ahead of Sunday's meeting between those two teams in the Twin Cities. Uh, and I noted this on Twitter. The Sounders and Mariners have never in the Sounders MLS history, made the playoffs in the same season. And there was one year that we actually put together at, at your behest, a graph of like the Mariners and Sounders playoff odds. I think this was 2017. It was the year that I wrote the Sounders playoff chances off in July uh, on, on uh, the 4th of July. Uh-huh. And then they ended up winning the MLS cup or I think they, I think they just lost the, was that the year they won? I don't know. Yeah, I guess it was, because it would have been when Ziggy Schmidt got fired midseason and Brian Schmetzer took over. So, yeah. Yeah, they ended up winning MLS Cup after I wrote them off. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. But the Mariners did not make the playoffs after a strong start that year, believe it or not. Uh, one last note here. Sounder at Heart, uh, now independent of SB Nation, still covering both the Sounders and Noel Rain in a subscription-based model. A lot of what we do about the Sounders and OL Rain, like those news updates uh, are easily curated by Sounder at heart. So I immediately subscribed and, and definitely recommend, recommend it to all Seattle soccer fans. Speaking of OL Rain, they also came back from their break with a one nothing loss Friday at Kansas City. They were playing without their U.S. women's national team players, including Megan Rapino, who was honored at the Storm game while sitting courtside with Sue Bird on Friday night. Uh, Rain office, offense couldn't get much going against Kansas City. The lone goal came from the current CC Kaiser in the 61st minute. Rain did have an opportunity to equalize when VAR awarded a penalty in the 75th minute, but Jordan Heinema had her attempt saved. Rain now one point out of the last NWSL playoff spot, though also just two points away from hosting a semifinals match in second place as part of the compact standings. The worst news over the weekend was the San Diego Wave. The hated rivals won their game to move even with the Rain in the standings. That makes it crucial to get points Sunday in LA against an Angel City team that is tied for 10th in the NWSL standings. One of the news, bit of news that might affect OL Rain. Lotko Andonovsky, the former Reign head coach, resigned as manager of the U.S. women's national team after their early World Cup exit. And one of the strong candidates to replace him is the Reign's current head coach, wow. Laura Harvey, who previously to this job was working with the U.S. U-20 national team. So has some familiarity with the players on the roster, has some familiarity with U.S. soccer. And you look at her track record in NWSL uh, leading... Oil Rain to another uh, 
NWSL Shield last year as the top team during the regular season. She is right there, certainly on this short list, to be the next USWNT manager. Okay. In which case, they might hire Vladko Andonovsky. Wow, just a trade? Never know. I mean, that's that's sort of what happened when they first hired Andonovsky. I think Harvey at first went to, I don't know if, I, yeah, I guess maybe it wasn't a trade, but all right, let's get to UW Athletics and the news Monday that UW Athletic Director Jen Cohen is taking the same role at <sighs> USC. Uh, obviously, a, a surprising move. Uh, Cohen had been in a role since 2016 when she replaced Scott Woodward, had been at UW for 25 years in a variety of roles leading up to that, grew up in the Seattle area and grew up a Husky fan. So this was her dream job, but now gets an opportunity to take on an even bigger athletic department with greater resources, one that is also like the Huskies moving into the Big Ten at USC. It is kind of interesting how USC for a West Coast person is sort of, that's that's the end game. I mean, when it comes to college athletics on the west coast they're by far the best funded and and biggest and yeah and so i guess first and foremost i mean let's talk about jen cohen's tenure as university of washington athletic director when she came in as ad where were these programs so 2016 was Lorenzo Romar's last year as men's basketball head coach. Obviously, the football team was already in a great place. They were just about to go to the college football playoff that year. Uh, as alluded to earlier, Jen Cohen was a big part, along with Scott Woodward, of recruiting Chris Peterson to UW, was a big part of keeping him happy here before his decision to retire. So, you know, that relationship, I think, was really crucially important for a long period of time. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think... If you would have talked to, if we would have had this conversation not quite two years ago at the end of the Jimmy Lake tenure, like you would have said, so the football coach she's hired, Jimmy Lake, mm -hmm. things worked out about as poorly as they possibly could have. Mike Hopkins at that point, men's basketball team was suffering through their worst season possibly ever. The women's basketball program was suffering through one of their worst seasons ever under Jody Wynn. And, you know, those are kind of the three flagship programs and certainly the ones in which, you know, kind of her influence is going to be felt the most because, you know, UW softball is just kind of a well-oiled machine at this point with Heather Tarr in command. But now you look at it two years later, the Keelan DeBoer hire so far, and, you know, we temper this with the fact that, you know, two years in, you might have said the same about Mike Hopkins. Uh, so far, it looks like a huge home run and probably a big factor in why USC was interested in Jen Cohen is, is nailing that decision and, uh, you know, keeping, keeping DeBoer here with a new contract after that successful first season. I don't know that the men's basketball program is in that great of a place right now, but do seem kind of interesting for next season. And at the very least, Mike Hopkins, uh, contract extension is coming, coming to a conclusion, which will give whoever replaces Jen Cohen as athletic director a chance to make a move there. And then the women's basketball team with Tina Langley leading the team to the NIT, WNIT finals last year seems to be in a much better position going forward. Uh, you also look at the baseball team with Jason Kelly getting hired last year and returning to the NCAA tournament. 
Uh, the We talked a lot about the track and field and cross-country teams with the Powells, the husband and wife duo that coach those teams, the success that they've enjoyed. Uh, that's another Jen Cohen hire that uh, is not as high profile. Things are in pretty good shape right now, I think, other than the men's basketball program from a coaching standpoint. You know, financially, there's still going to be challenges given the buyout for Jimmy Lake, given the amount that UW is still paying on the financing for renovating Husky Stadium, uh, which predated Jen Cohen's role as athletic director. But uh, they are funding a new men's basketball, I don't know if it's women's basketball as well, but a basketball practice facility that is going to be, I think, very good for them from a recruiting standpoint. Things, again, are in pretty good shape, all things considered. And we now know where the Huskies are going to be playing their sports for a long period of time in the Big Ten. Well, okay. I, I mean, I still think, obviously, there are a lot of successes there. Scott Woodward was the athletic director who was overseeing bringing in Chris Peterson, which is probably the greatest hire in University of Washington history after Don James. Yeah. Modern history. I mean, I think one of the, the lessons from that that kind of history I was, just went through that, you know, that uh, Jen Cohen oversaw hiring Jimmy Lake and Kaylin DeBoer back-to-back, yeah. Jody Wynn and Tina Langley back-to-back. Like, there's a lot of randomness in this shed. And athletic directors and any decision maker gets too many, too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things go poorly. Yes. And so I guess looking forward, like how much of an impact do you actually think an athletic director has? Because they're responsible for making these hirings. But if you take, let's take a replacement level athletic director, is there... <laughs> it's a funny concept. But is there, is would somebody have handled things that differently than... Jen Cohen did like is the the base expectation for almost any athletic director throughout the country at the University of Washington knowing given the resources the history the infrastructure etc the money probably would have hired Jimmy Lake when she hired Jimmy Lake yeah and also it wouldn't have been unreasonable for again an average athletic director to have hired Kalen DeBoer yeah I mean look we we certainly identified Kalen DeBoer right away <laughs> we had a head start on that one so these were sort of like, I, I don't know if you can look at them as decisions that, I, I think if you have an athletic director who's really thinking outside the box or whatever, finding like, I mean, for us, that's the primary thing that they're responsible for, right? Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, similar to the way that we evaluate coaches and we focus so much on what we can see in terms of in-game decisions. That's not what coaching is. That's a part of what coaching is. But coaching is also, you know, your relationships with players and things like that and setting a culture. And same thing with an athletic director. A lot of it, the job is less about the visible aspects and more about maintaining relationships with your coaches, maintaining relationships with donors, managing the relationship with, you know, President Kause and Upper Campus, which is... Uh, a really vital thing at the University of Washington for kind of, you know, handling that balance between the emphasis on academics and the desire to succeed athletically. So those are the skills that, you know, I think that Jen Cohen had done a good job at, but we can't really evaluate from the outside except kind of by proxy or obliquely. And, and I guess now managing boosters and NIL is a huge factor in that as well. Had Jen Cohen been at any other university or she, was she only at the University of Washington her entire career? Uh, she had got her start elsewhere, but again, had almost, ex you know, had been there for 25 years. So for a long period of time, worked her way up the ranks. Okay. 
I I mean, I guess of the people, do you have do you have a list of possible candidates for I, this? I didn't really come up with a list. I mean, one of the things I've learned, I think, from Jen Cohen is like I think back of our lists of like the women's basketball candidates. Tina Langley wasn't on there. Jody Wynn wasn't on there before that. Mike Hopkins wasn't on the men's basketball list when she decided to fire Lorenzo Rovard. Like. We don't really know who's who might leave, who's interested. I mean, internally, Erin O'Connell, who was previously, they have a number of deputy ADs. She was also the senior woman administrator, will serve as the interim AD. Uh, the other uh, internal candidate that's been mentioned by a number of people is uh, Deputy AD and Chief of Staff Andy Fee, who was spent five years as Long Beach State's athletic director before coming to UW last August. Okay. I mean, so you look at it, I, I just... People were, I guess, kind of upset about this, and I'm just not sure if I can really grasp how big of a deal an athletic director is. I mean, it seems like a big deal until it doesn't, you know? Fair enough. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean by that? Like it, it seems like a big deal because of the fact that they left, you know, at a high point. She left at a high point. If she had left in 2021, like I said, people would probably have said, you know, great it's a chance for us to upgrade and you know it's the same person so she didn't change it's kind of like athletic directors are sort of similar to college basketball coaches college football coaches where if you succeed at a certain level you'll probably get an opportunity at a bigger level and you just have to figure out if you're going to be successful at that level and ultimately almost everybody is fired i mean you know you think about the comparison between, I mean, when Sark took the USC job, it was a little different, but like what a resolving door the USC football job has been in recent years. And the athletic director role has been the same thing. She's the fourth non-interim AD at USC since Mike Garrett was fired in 2010 in the wake of their football sanctions. It's actually kind of incredible. Yeah. How many they've had. I mean, who was the athletic director who hired Lincoln Riley? So that was Mike Bond who... Oh, who had a scandal left. Yeah. Okay. He left in May, resigned after three plus years in the role, a day after the LA Times sent him in the athletic department questions about criticism of his management style, including inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female employees. And there were also allegations of him uh, inappropriately touching subordinates in his previous job at the University of Cincinnati. So that wasn't a performance related opening, but the previous, you know, couple were. Yeah. So I mean, the, the, that's the thing is the, on on a level of the same thing that comes with the resources and the opportunity is scrutiny at USC. But also, it's the same thing where I'm saying, like, you look at these coaches who do really well, like a Kalen DeBoer. The chances of Kalen DeBoer being successful at UW were probably pretty high, right? He came in with a pretty good roster ultimately, with a quarterback who was ready to play. Like things were set up very nicely for Kalen DeBoer. Well, the quarterback came in large part B- because, because of, of him. his experience. But you instantly, when that happens, end up getting power and clout within the institution. And it happened for Kalen DeBoer within one year. Like he's the most important person. Look, now he's the, breaking up the Pac-12. He literally broke up the Pac-12. I don't. I saw I don't another so. report about that that it was actually Arizona. So, but I think that UW. As far as you, between UW and Oregon, were the first ones to do it, and I think that Kalen DeBoer was somebody who was pushing on them. He was certainly, I think he was certainly in favor of it, and probably was a factor in that. He's decision. like a few years away from fucking South Dakota, and he has the ability to do that because things move fast in sports and like in college sports fast, in particular. Yeah. But also, things move fast on the other side too, That's and. True. 
things can turn very, very quickly in a situation. So you're hiring Jen Cohen at a point where she just she just got UW into the Big Ten. However much she was part of that, she obviously was part of those conversations. She just hired Kalen DeBoer, who for now, I mean, I think we all expect Kalen DeBoer to be a good coach at UW, but for now, looks like an amazing hire, right? And also, no one gives a shit about those other sports. We care about basketball. USC probably cares a little bit about basketball, but I will tell you what everybody cares about. But USC does care about being not no longer the conference of champions, but a school of champions and the Honda Cup and the overall athletic standings. That matters at USC and Stanford. If Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley probably is not leaving USC anytime soon. There's like three jobs maybe ahead of there well, in the country. It would be the NFL. Yeah, sure. If Lincoln Riley leaves USC, I think coaches are smart enough to just camp out in college these days oh, i don't know <laughs> everyone everyone's like the tobias it might work for us <laughs> who's the last coach to have left like big big coach to have i mean urban meyer but that's kind of different yeah i mean he had been out of retirement so i suppose it is slightly different uh like the last active major i don't know i, I can't remember. well cliff kingsbury had gotten fired so it's also a little different yeah, by spurned usc also yes but he was <laughs> he was going from offensive coordinator to nfl head coach that was probably a better yeah decision. that wasn't even a that wasn't even like he probably ultimately for his career would have been better off no i think it's just better to have been an nfl head take coach. the money be an nfl coach for yeah, a little like while on your resume go to singapore yeah <laughs> like he could he could broadcast i don't know why yeah I would totally do that. Those are the cushiest jobs in sports are broadcaster and college football head coach. I don't know if college football head coach is, is cushy. I think it's very time consuming. If you, if you are, but you can just, you're exploiting the labor of young people. That's your entire job. You I are, mean, but Lincoln Riley like, is the most powerful state employee of California. Or no, he's not. They're a private school. So he's different. He's, yes. Okay. That, is, that is a fair point. That's why Chip Kelly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Cronin? I don't know. Oh, Chip Kelly. Again, it's just... Football is so much more important. But especially now, football has... It has changed. Football is even more important than basketball. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the most important to the individual school. I think it's... I think the, the, like, transient nature of basketball has changed how people approach college basketball. Because of transfers? Because of transfers and because of one and done. I don't know if coaches any less important, though. I think it makes the entire sport less important. It might not make coaches less important. I suppose. But I, I mean, I haven't seen viewership numbers, but I would guess that they're probably not amazing for college basketball at this point. I mean, they're not, but I don't think that they've changed that much just within the last four years or whatever. It's over two decades. It's I'm not I'm not just saying because of transfers. Uh, you I'm also, also one saying and done. one and done players. Like, sure. There is such a massive difference in the impact of college basketball in the 90s versus where it is now. Yes. When you had players playing for three, four years and had relationships with them. Anyway, it's one of those jobs that you get the opportunity when things are going well. And if things stop going well, all of a sudden that opportunity is gone. You're let go of. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, third Baldwin brother Christian Capel noted in his story on, on Montlake was uh, that, you know, if, if Lincoln Riley were to leave that having Jen Cohen there would make USC a more attractive destination for Kalen DeBoer if he continues to be successful at UW. And it's like, I, I get it, but also, like, what are the odds that Jen Cohen is athletic director that, like, outlasts Lincoln Riley? I don't think the history suggests they're very good. 
that Jen Cohen will outlast Lincoln Riley at USA. I it's it's one of those things where it's almost catastrophizing in a way of just like we're good. Kalen DeBoer will be here until Kalen DeBoer is not. I don't think that USC is the end game. There are other jobs. If Kalen DeBoer is good enough, I there are better be. jobs than USC. It certainly might be, but it's just like that's a, such a like we already went through this with Sark. That's such a great problem to have. If we'll deal with it when we get there. If you want to worry about where your coach may eventually end up, be a fucking fan of Alabama. I think the, you know what I mean. I think the concern with Jen Cohen leaving for Kalen DeBoer is more about the relationship between the next athletic director who will not have hired Kalen DeBoer and him than it is USC specifically. Is that's the way I, I'd put it. I'm just gonna throw this out there. I think whomever the athletic director is who comes in is going to be pretty particular about having a good relationship with the most important person on campus. I hope so, but... I don't think they're going to come in and have a power struggle with Galen DeBoer. I, I don't know that every athletic director realizes they're less powerful than the head coach. I... Especially, like, we're, we're not going to be hiring, like, big-name athletic director. I think no, it is very not. unlikely. But, like, you look at someone like Scott Woodward, who was clearly... You know, this was a stepping stone job for Scott Woodward. That's fine. But to be a stepping or stone Todd job... Or Todd Turner as well before him. When, when it is a stepping stone job, you have to be successful on the field. You don't. Nobody's like, hey, wow, the finances are really great. Teams suck. <laughs> they went 0-12 last year, but you're going to be promoted. It is one of those jobs that the on-field performance of the teams... Technically, I think Todd Turner did get his next job after UW's 0-12 season. Did he? Where did Todd Turner go? <laughs> oh... Also, I mean, honestly, those were different days than they are now. Things they, are things are different. They were they were very different days. That's for certain. So, but you you understand what I'm saying? Having a good relationship with Kalen DeBoer is going I, to be the Kalen DeBoer will be interviewing these motherfuckers. Like he will surely have a say. He is important enough to get the school to leave the conference that they were in for the last hundred years. And you think that whoever the athletic director is going to be... No, is I guess he just resigned. Did he get another job? He just resigned? Thank God. <laughs> he did leave in 2008. <sighs> All right. Okay. This did correct it. Yeah, you're taking an L. Congrats to Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point here. Like... Yes. I, I just... If you want to worry about Kalen DeBoer leaving UW, like, sure. It is such a... I'm just a, saying it's a variable. It's a Sisyphusian thing to be worried about. You could be worried about it all the time. You know what I mean? You could always be worried about wherever Kalen DeBoer might go. Right now, the most important thing that you can do is if you would like, if you want UW to win, just cheer for them right now because there's a million other places that a coach can go. I, I the, agree with that. There is no job... The, there's maybe like, again, five jobs in the country. Brian Kelly left Notre fucking Dame. It's true. You know? So, like, this this is not something. Lincoln Riley, I think Oklahoma's a different type of institution, but Lincoln Riley still left Oklahoma to go to USC. Yeah. People leave big jobs to go to other big jobs, and that happens. That's what happens when you're successful. You don't want Kalen DeBoer to not be successful, though, because, again, the more successful he is, the more, like, you don't hire Kalen DeBoer if you don't have the Chris Peterson era. Mm, I don't know. He was Fresno State. I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. But, but you, he was a hot coaching candidate. You have to be prepped to be able to be good. You can't just... Success begets success in college yes. sports, even if it also begets change. There are going to be more Kalen DeBoers. 
Well, speaking of moving things, things moving fast in sports. I don't know if you saw this. That UW has gotten a verbal commitment from Adrian Beltre Jr. What? Out of the 2024 class. What sport? In baseball. Baseball? Yeah. Let's freaking go! Yeah. Adrian Beltre Jr.? Yeah. Continuing the Beltre family legacy in Seattle. But the good news is I don't think Husky Ballpark is unfriendly to is unfriendly to right-handed hitters. Assuming Adrian Beltre Jr. is in fact a right-handed hitter. If you want Field was this at is that time. the most galaxy brain way to think of it. If you want <laughs> UW baseball to be good, you should be cheering right now for the Mariners to be spending money on free agents. Because you can look way back to the money that they spent on Adrian Beltre signing. He had no connection to Seattle before then. No. Everybody who comes to Seattle loves Seattle, though. I suppose that's true. Where does he rank? Uh, I, don't, I don't. They that is that really is locked on perfect game. For, uh, where does he? He plays in the Seattle area. What high school? No. He uh, per Adam Jude pitches and plays middle infield at. Maranatha High School in Pasadena, California. Wow. There we go. Sign Shohei and get Shohei Jr. So he's right there in Big Ten country. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of our best jokes. Uh, UW men's basketball news. The Huskies are in Europe for the offseason tour. Teams are allowed to take it once every four years. On Friday, the Huskies beat... Sergi Pontois, which plays in the third tier, NM one ninety two eighty behind sixteen points and sixteen assists from Severe Wheeler, with Moses Wood scoring twenty two and Keon Brooks Jr. twenty one as their leading scorers. On Monday in Barcelona, the Huskies beat a team of Spanish quote unquote all stars. <laughs> TBD exactly makes up the Spanish all star team. So, uh, I don't think it's the members of the Spanish national team who are a little busy right now leading up to the World Cup. Uh, 73 56 with incoming freshman Christian King scoring 16 points before the game was called due to court conditions. They will play the Spanish all stars again on Wednesday in Barcelona to wrap up this trip. Uh, there was no box score for the second game, but the starters for both of these have been Severe Wheeler at, and Paul Mulcahy in the backcourt, Moses Wood and Keon Brooks at forward, and Braxton Mia at center. This is kind of what I was anticipating as the starting lineup after they added Mulcahy. Uh, with Corin Johnson, Nate Calmeze, Christian King, and Wilhelm Breidenbach playing off the bench in the first game for which we got a box score. Wesley Yates was not listed on the roster, although he's part of this trip, so presumably some sort of injury situation there. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe some sort of eligibility thing to play in these specific games, but uh, have not seen what he's capable of doing or where he might fit into the rotation. And then Frank Kepnong is still not available coming off his ACL tear. Okay. But not like it's impossible to really gauge the level of play here, but... Uh, Moses Wood playing well is encouraging. I, I've been very excited about that addition via transfer. Christian King factoring into the rotation right away is kind of cool. I figured he might might take some time to develop, uh, you know, probably taking advantage of the fact that Wesley Yates is not active. But he's playing ahead of Anthony Holland, who was a starter last year at Fresno State. So that's a little bit surprising to me that both him and Nate Calmeze, who uh, was playing at a much lower level this season, have played against ahead of Anthony Holland. I had kind of penciled. I had previously penciled him in as the starting shooting guard before Mulcahy's transfer. So, plenty of time before men's basketball season, but uh, getting a little bit of a look at the team early. Some disappointing UW football news: projected starting running back Cameron Davis will miss the season due to a lower body injury suffered in practice last week, along with backup guard guard Memolar. 
Davis rushed for 522 yards in a team-high 13 touchdowns in 2022 as a fourth-year sophomore. Fourth-year sophomore. Yeah. I, I don't think he's a lot. I don't know if he gets an injury redshirt year at this point. If he came back as a sixth-year junior, that would be quite impressive next year. I think he'll, be a, I think he'll probably be a senior. Uh, so that running back spot suddenly wide open with Mississippi State transfer Dylan Johnson, the leading contender to start, along with holdovers Richard Newton and Will Nixon. The other scholarship running backs on the roster are Sam Adams Jr., Arizona State transfer Daniel Ngata, and freshman Tybo Rogers, who is currently suspended indefinitely. Not great. It's not ideal. Uh, I I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be okay. That's it. I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where, given this offense, I think they will be able to find running backs in a lot of different places. Running backs do have... Running back ability does matter more at the college level than the NFL level. Correct. But... I want to move away from running backs. Don't matter. I don't. Yeah. But I've, I've determined that's offensive to running backs. I agree that uh, that specific verbiage is unnecessarily harsh to the individual running backs. But. Unfortunately, running backs don't control running success as much as offensive line <laughs> in game state is much more, much less pithy. I get it. Uh, but. I still think, given the situation and the offense in general, they'll be able to find running back production. I think so, too. And, I mean, I am excited about more Sam Adams Jr. That's yes. that's an exciting thing. Uh, the Huskies had a pair of players on the AP preseason All-America first team, both wide receiver Roma Dunze and outside linebacker Braylon Trice. People are expecting big things from Roma Dunze. I mean, I am, too. I mean, yeah, who is it? But... It's pretty exciting. The The preseason accolades, similar to what we talked about last week, about being ranked in the top 10, nothing terrifies me more than a preseason accolade. <laughs> well, I was I was thinking the other day, like the Mariners actually playing well a second consecutive season. Maybe it's a good sign that we're out of this era. <laughs> the era of our entire lives until now? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? All things are possible now. You're forecasting a whole new era of humanity? <laughs> Because well, the Mariners are good two years ago. Look. It's like there, there's the Neolithic, the Mesozoic. <laughs> and the Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. 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 And the, the what era, can era? you tell me what era we're currently in? I, I really can't. Really, you know, I know the... We're in the Cenozoic era. Yeah. Which, which itself broken down into three periods. There was the uh, the entire lives that we've lived up to right now, where the yeah, Mariners are yeah. bad all the time, and then the second period was the one that we're currently in right now, where the Mariners are somehow good two years in a row, and then there's the third period where the Mariners don't lose again. <laughs> oh wow! I guess you're gonna transition to this. We're not gonna go over Pac-12 football coach's favorite musical artists. Oh, do we, do we? I don't feel like we need to talk. Okay. Do we, we? We've already been talking forever. You, we could just say Kalen, Kalen DeBoer's journey. For journey, I was like, good, perfectly respectable. As long as it's not like a young pop country artist, we're good. Me and Kalen DeBoer are all right on that. We are great. Yeah, honestly, don't, don't stop believing in the Huskies. <laughs> there, there we go. That's all we needed. Yeah. 
Aren't the Mariners? So many people said when we began running the Dom Canzone updates, actually yes. no one specifically said this, uh-huh. but well, maybe Julio Rodriguez is a more important factor in the team's success in the month of August wow. given his 17 hits in a four-game span. That would be embarrassing if you said that. And then what happened? <laughs> Julio Rodriguez gets a day off Monday and the Mariners score 14 fucking runs. <laughs> Julio Rodriguez doesn't play Tuesday's scratch for the lineup due to a stomach illness and the Mariners win again with six runs. That's what I was saying to you. They can withstand anything <laughs> right now. The only thing that can stop the Seattle Mariners is the Kansas City Royals. Unfortunately, they're coming to town this week. No! No! Not the Royals. Three games of Bobby Witt Jr. Oh, my God. Intentionally walk him every time. The scariest team in the entire MLB. <laughs> but having this happen... who? J.P. Crawford is out for a series. Julio is out for two games. Nothing matters anymore. The Mariners are perfect. They will. Okay. And they cannot and will gone. not lose. Again. You're telling me right now. The right thing is, your your whole thing was like, don't look now. You know, at some point, the, the Mariners have won eight oh, games in a row. Hold on. Don't look now. The Mariners are in the AL West race. Don't look now. The Mariners are one game back in the AL West. What they, do you mean, don't look now? Everybody is fucking looking all the time. I was, like, checking for score updates on the Arizona ninth inning. I had to, like, scroll through the dial to find some place that was like giving were... me a Diamondback <laughs> score update because the Mariners <laughs> post-game broadcast ended in the middle of the ninth inning with Paul Seawald having loaded the bases oh, God. with a three-run lead. Yeah, but he did the thing. Paul he did Seawald. He came through. You're our boy, Paul. Somehow that trade worked out for the Mariners, both in the players they got. Wow. Including Dove Canzone and home run hidden Josh Rojas. Uh-huh. And by putting Seawald on the Diamondbacks as a sleeper agent to take down the Rangers. No one talks enough about how great of a GM Jerry DePoto is. <laughs> President, whatever. Justin Hollander, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The every move that they have made has been perfect in every single way. I mean, this this team. I fear somehow I fear the Tommy Lasella move was just setting us up for Mike Ford. Literally, this is. I <laughs> swear to God, like it's like when we go back in time and we're like, whatever led to the Russell Wilson trade, the Jamal Adams trade. Yes, uh, yeah, the Jamal Adams trade actually was great. The Mariners signing Tommy Lastella is the is the equivalent of the Jamal Adams trade. Oh, I don't I, And eventually, I think, somehow, I don't think it's nearly as bad. it led to Dominic Canzone and the Mariners being unable to lose in the month of August. Because again, teams can you can put together one eight game win streak. It's but happened all the time. To have another eight game win streak in on the, the other month. side in the same it is not an easy thing to do. This team is they are just but the. The reality of it is, it's not lucky. They are crushing these teams. They are doing well, to the finally, White Sox. They were, they were not crushing teams for a long period of time, including against the Royals. But they are doing against the White Sox what a really good team should do against a bad team. The White Sox are falling apart. Both their front office and players, they are collapsing the institutionally. Single-handedly pushed out Kenny Williams, who had been their GM. Do you, do you want to know... Uh, how long ago it was that Kenny Williams became their chief decision maker? Was it 95? No, it's not that long ago. Okay. It's so long ago that it happened after the Mariners beat the White Sox in a playoff series. The Mariners beat the White Sox in a playoff series? 2000. The, oh. the season you don't remember yeah. or acknowledge. <laughs> Just accept that any, if there's any information about the Mariners baseball in 2000 or 2001, I, I both do not know it and well, also reject it. You know it if it's somehow negative about each other. 
I love that we got a today I learned that the Mariners <laughs> played the White Sox in a playoff series. We've learned a lot of things on this pod. <laughs> the location of Needville. Was it Needville? Is t- the Texas one? Yeah. Okay. We have not looked up. Uh, what was the other one? Something Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm good at that. that. Who cares? They're yeah, not in Big Ten country. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> neither is Texas, Texas no. yet. Uh, wow. No, we don't want any of those schools. I, I love being pretentious about the Big Ten all of a sudden. It's <laughs> like, oh, we would never want any of those schools. <laughs> We're in the Big Ten after all. There's a certain element of taste and class that comes along with this conference. What was the thing you said about all of the like stereotypes from Washington State fans about Husky fans are accurate? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're especially true right now. <laughs> oh, no. They've been only confirmed by the situation. Uh, those priors have been confirmed. Baseball. <laughs> Do you have any other specific <laughs> takes on this series? Uh, I... The Mariners are one game back of the Texas Rangers. This is, again, this isn't like the season of record because they're better. That was a lucky team. This isn't a lucky team. The Mariners are competing right now as, I talked about this on the emergency pod, they're one of the best teams in baseball. I understand you can't just isolate it to the second half or how they're playing the second, but also when you look at it as the entire season, they're still one of the best teams in baseball. That's how good they've been during the stretch. Wow. The Mariners, oh, I guess this is still league. Uh, do you want to know where the Mariners currently rank? Are you seeing my I'm screen? I'm kind of seeing your yeah. screen. So it looks like something like six, I want to say. Okay, so run differential. There's Atlanta, Texas, Tampa Bay. Texas, despite the slide, the six-game Texas' run differential is, still is ridiculous. Second. Tampa Bay, Los Angeles are all plus 100. And that Houston, is not the Angels. More than plus 100, I should That's say. That's the Dodgers. Substantially more than that. Houston's plus 89. They got a big enough couple of wins here against the Red Sox to hold off the Mariners despite their 14-2 to win on Monday. And then the Mariners at plus 87, ahead of Baltimore, ahead of Toronto, ahead of all but two teams in the National League. Like, yeah, this is a legitimately good team. The 1995 Mariners run differential was... Well, while you look that up, are there, are there any of those teams... Plus 88. That? So it's still, still about that, but in a 144-game season. I guess the Mariners are at 126 now. In those... And I mean, they also went to the ALCS. Like, yeah. it's not like the 95 team didn't do well. Are there any of those six teams that you mentioned? Probably even a few more. That you like, obviously, you wouldn't say the Orioles couldn't win the World Series, right? Of course, they can win the World Series. I mean, look, whoever wins the AL West is by virtue of gonna ha- having the number two seed, like maybe not in a Would it be impossible? How far back are they, the Orioles? How many games? Uh, six and a half. I don't, th- I don't okay. think they're catching the Orioles. Wow. <laughs> you don't know. We would have said the same thing about Texas. When you literally don't lose, it becomes a lot easier. I suppose, but also if they caught the Orioles, probably Tampa Bay would also catch the Orioles. Yeah. Again, Tampa Bay is the best team in the AL. I want to be clear about this. But they're, they, they could have a harder road. So, okay, let's stick with the AL West. Yeah. Just don't look now. Don't look now. Again, everyone they, is looking. So many we're all looking. looking. Don't look now. We're this staring, is the don't look now, we're Seattle We're staring Mariners. directly at it like it's the fucking eclipse. I know. That was kind of the entire point of <laughs> the don't look now. Uh, <laughs> Was that we needed to don't look now, <laughs> <laughs> but back then it was like uh, like inconceivable the thought that like 
Yeah, can you believe it? The Mariners have actually won eight in a row or whatever. Them being a game back. I mean, we we basically had written off the AL West. Like in 1995, where like, again, the whole quest was about the wild card, which the Mariners did not. They finished behind the Yankees, would not have been the wild card that year. But their pursuit of the wild card was what allowed them to catch the Angels in the AL West. Yes. And this is something that we would have said it was impossible a week ago. Not like six weeks ago or I something. Mean, do you know how many games they've made up on the Rangers six, in the last Six week? games, Six right? games. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that is, and also the numbers that they've made up against Houston in that same time. Correct. Right? Because, yes, you would have said the same thing I just said about, sure, they might catch the Orioles, but the Rays are going to pass them. Would have been the same thing you would have said about the Mariners and the Astros before last weekend. It's now a pretty thrilling three-team race it is. in the ALS. I mean, the one thing I was thinking about is I looked at the Fangraphs projections, which, by the way, the Mariners, like, still, their playoff odds are not that yeah, good. Don't look now, Fangraphs. Maybe you should be looking because things have changed, Fangraphs. It's basically that, like, no... There's seven teams for six spots, and although a couple of teams are exceedingly likely to make it, I guess six, six teams for five spots, because the Twins are just operating over in their own sphere. In oh, the, God. Hate the them. Godforsaken AL Central. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, Baltimore and Tampa Bay are by far the most likely to make it, but other than them, no one has better than the Astros have an 87% chance, and no one has worse than the... Blue Jays at a 68%. So it's just like all of these teams are sharing the, ch- the chances. But uh, I was thinking like in the old like four-team playoff days where only one of these ALS teams could make it would be pretty wild. Fangraphs currently has the Astros most likely to win the division at 51%. Rangers 25%. Mariners 24%. A little 11, 10 a.m. baseball. Let's freaking go. In a high of 97 tomorrow in Chicago. Is it really? Oh, yeah. So that's not going to be great. I, mean, I don't know if we'll see Julio Rodriguez. You you also just look at the pitching matchups through these series, and you're like, yeah, George Kirby, Michael Kopech. Like, I, you have to go into this. Tickets as low as $2. <laughs> uh, not a lot of people excited. I'm seeing 82 degrees here from the tickets. I think that's maybe first pitch. Or maybe that's currently. I don't know. We've and then just seeing the, the Blue Jays and the Orioles play each other, you still have to think the Orioles have a pretty good shot of that one. I don't know. Like, we're at the point that we are... Are the Rangers off? Do they, do they have off, a yes. blessed day off for them? Um, they can't lose. Uh but the Mariners could pull to within a half game of the ALS tomorrow. That is correct. It's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. They're just good. That's it. I, I do think it is maybe a little bit too early to be scoreboard watching, but at the same time, it's also really fun to be scoreboard watching. Yeah. So... Because again, like just chasing, chasing people, right? It was like the meme that people showed or that people made, TK uh, Metcalf running down Buddha Baker of the Blue Jays. And it's like, we're way past that. You know what I mean? Like that was fun while it lasted. That is early August talk. Now we're into late <laughs> August talk and it's the Rangers. It was, and it's the it was mid-August talk. <laughs> it was mid-August. There was, there we're in slightly later <laughs> mid-August talk. A week has passed. I think we're officially in late August now. It's, it's going to be the 23rd by the time you listen to this podcast. 
and nothing has been able to derail them yet. They've tried. They've tried. Well, they've taken down three starting pitchers. Yeah. Uh, Emerson Hancock went on the injured list Monday with a lat strain before being transferred to the 60-day injured list on Tuesday. That's probably not meaningful because, you know, we're nearing the end of the season. Mariners will surely be cautious with Hancock, who has dealt with a series of shoulder injuries, uh, including had a lat strain that delayed the beginning of his 2022 season. Mariners had been set to go to a six-man rotation with Brian Wu's return Tuesday. Uh, Scott Service said it's still possible that could happen, and in that case, the sixth starter would be Luke Weaver, who signed with the Mariners as a free agent on Tuesday after becoming a free agent, having been designated for assignment by the Reds last Wednesday. Weaver was previously claimed by the Mariners on waivers in October, but elected for free agency and signed by the Reds. Uh, the Mariners finally got their guy. I there really is, love Luke Weaver. His fourth team in the last two seasons. He posted a 6.87 ERA and 21 starts in Cincinnati this year. 5.88 fielding independent pitching wasn't much better, but did have a 4.0 FIP in the major leagues entering this season. There's definitely something about the Mariners wanting Luke Weaver so badly and having the confidence at this point to possibly start him where I'm like, maybe, I mean, they've earned it at this point. It's interesting because, yeah, I mean, they haven't really done this with starters other than maybe Chris Flexen. Yeah, they didn't earn it on that one. <laughs> no, I mean, they got a really good season out of Chris Flexen in 2021. <laughs> he was a big part of the fun differential, Tam. But, like, their track record with relievers is pretty incredible at this point. Also, by the way, a point that didn't occur to me until today, uh, thinking back on the game on Sunday, like, one of the nice things about training Paul Seawald is all of a sudden, because Andres Munoz has been in the setup year role all year, you have the flexibility to use him in the eighth inning because that's when the heart of Houston's order is coming up and not feel tied to we have to use the closer exclusively in the ninth inning because otherwise he's not used to it. So that was a side benefit of that trade. What about Luke Weaver do you think the Mariners are excited about? Which I mean, there is maybe, one good season in there in 2019. I mean, I haven't looked at like his pitch data. Maybe there's something about like if he removes one of his pitches or changes one of his pitches that they think can be a thing. I mean, everyone has this data, but, you know, again, the Mariners <laughs> have done it with relievers before. Yeah. I mean, again, if, if he's out there starting, I'll be like, I don't, maybe they'll do it, right? They've done it with a handful of players where you're like, well, okay. So... Also, the Mariners removed a lot of pitches from Luis Castillo's arsenal on Monday night. Did they? You saw this, didn't you? No. He threw 47 consecutive pitches, fastballs to end the game. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. No no breaking, no off-speed. Just because they were up by so much? And the fastball was working. They were just like, go get him? He was mixing in two and four savers. They they got it to child's baseball? Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I, I saw an anecdote. I think the Seattle Times had this that Cal Raleigh was told at one point that he was it was like at thirty consecutive, and he was like, "Well, let's let's keep it going. Let's see how far we can go." <laughs> and it was like, I'm not a big believer in the pitching to the score theory that was behind. You probably aren't even aware of this, like Jack Morris's Hall of Fame candidacy. Like the argument from his the, his advanced stats were not very impressive, uh-huh. and his. His backers in the Hall of Fame debate argued that what Jack Morris did was often pitch to the score, so he'd give up some extra runs, but he was working more innings, and you know the team was winning anyway, which the evidence for that is mixed. But it was to me, and Luis Castillo only gave up. <laughs> he just tried to give up a few runs. He only gave Keep up it close. He only gave up one run in this game. Like his stats were actually quite good, but it was like a very like yeah, if you hit some long fly balls, that's cool. 
but I'm going to have short at bats and get seven <laughs> innings. No, that's awesome. I freaking love it. Yeah. Uh, maybe they'll do that with Luke Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> I do just love to see like whatever they saw. I'm looking at these stats. Whatever is jumping out to the Seattle Mariners. It's kind of like, like Pete Carroll and John Schneider and the Drew Locke run. Where they're like, but that one run. <laughs> that like people will see one one good small handful of performances for the rest of their lives. Did Luke Weaver had a good have a good game against the Mariners? Oh, right, now now I have to look this up. If on there was one good game, Stathead. He's oh, been boy. primarily in the NL, so he wouldn't have had that many opportunities. Yeah, that's exactly the point. You don't want too many games against Luke Weaver. Just one good game. Oh man, I really hope it exists. <laughs> Uh, finders game finder. Oh no, I guess I could have just gone to splits. S- pitching splits in his career. You're gonna have to help me, Phil. Here while I'm searching for this. I I'm just I'm waiting with bated breath about whether you're gonna find a Luke Weaver versus the Mariners performance. I mean, this 2009 season was was the one that was his gem. The 2009 season? Yeah. Was he in the minor leagues? <laughs> No, he was in the... Sorry, 2019, not okay. 2009. 12 starts, 2.94 ERA, 1, 1.073 whip. He was kind of a beast that year. Okay, he pitched one time against the Mariners. He gave up two runs. <laughs> oh, damn. I was really hoping this was going to be an incredible performance. Yeah. Uh, five innings, two runs. So this was not just a, like the most nondescript, out. like random <laughs> yeah. start. It was just literally a game. The Mariners all were the games. in awe. This was one of them. <laughs> it's like a TikTok that just shows random clips. That just like this wasn't an important time, but here's a clip from the '90s. That's Luke Weaver against the Mariners. Wow. All right. Well, maybe that's that game is still to come. <laughs> I can't wait to follow Luke Weaver's career because the Mariners can't lose, so Luke Weaver won't either. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.